So meditations on the shortcomings of samsara, chapter 5. The first remedy for attachment to existence in general. So we taught about certain experiences, that was impermanence, attachment to certain experiences, particular experiences, impermanence. Now we're talking about how to overcome attachment to existence in general. Well, what does it matter if there's impermanence or death? I'll be reborn anyway, right? can do it next lifetime. If I do it next time, that's all right by me. I'm in, you know, I'm, I'm in no rush. Well, if you think this way, you're going to be attached to the pleasure of existence. The remedy for this is a systematic contemplation of the shortcomings of next lifetime and this lifetime and so on. And the shortcomings of samsara are covered by three topics. The sufferings inherent in the composite. Everybody understand what that means? The sufferings that are inherent in the composite. In other words, anything that's built is going to fall apart. It's inherent. The shortcomings, three topics, the sufferings inherent in the composite. Your body is going to fall apart. Your house is going to eventually be dust. Ozymandias, look on you, works you mighty and despair. It's all going to turn to sand. Was it Ozymandias, king of kings? Is that Kipling? Shelley. thing. The sufferings due to change. It's hard to cling to your sensory pleasures, your mental pleasures, your emotional pleasures if it keeps changing. You can't hang on to it. It's falling through your fingers. And lastly, the suffering manifested as suffering. <laughs> In other words, just good old garden variety, everyday suffering. All right. So what do we say about composite? It means created and continuing to exist through causes and conditions. A perceived object such as a chair seems to be lasting, but it's going to decay, right? Eventually, even Honen's chair, right, who's been sitting in some temple in Kyoto for 500 years, is eventually going to rot. Have you seen Honen's chair? Every 150 years you see Honen's chair. Everybody lines up. Yet, a chair is multiple and changing. The image presented in the mind as one perceives the object is a temporary reality highly dependent upon the conditions. In other words, to see the chair, it's almost always got to be in front of you. You can imagine it in your mind, but that's also subject to the conditions of previous chairs. Say you lived in Japan and there were never any chairs, and you just had cushions. You wouldn't know what a chair was, would you? Say you lived on cushions your whole life. chair wouldn't mean anything to you. The chair comes into being with composite causes and conditions, and then you have a chair, and now, even if this chair disappears, the concept of chair lasts forever, doesn't it? Even when no chair's there, you can still think, oh, chairs. And so this is the ego. The ego comes together because of causes and conditions, mother, father, family, environment, and the human senses, and the human mind, the potential to build that. Right? And so even if you die, the idea of a self can continue, because although my mother died, my brother's still alive. So even though that chair is gone, there's still chairs. However, all chairs, eventually, generation after generation after generation, all selves die, all selves decompose. The moment it manifests, it does due to specific causes. So when we talk about the composite, we're not just talking about the thing that exists now, but that which brought it into place and that which is going to dissolve it. And you were brought into place. There was Bill and Mary and Frank. Another set of samsaric 
skandhas coming together that got labeled armchair or kitchen chair or some other chair. And the armchair died, but chair remained. Then it became the next chair. Another chair got born. So as a human being, you're always going to be born into the chair cycle. But while each chair dissolves, and is, it, the, the new chair is not the same as the old chair, is it? I make a chair, I can make a chair that looks exactly like this chair. Exactly. You wouldn't even tell them apart. But it's not the same chair. And so that's what a race is. That's what a tribe is. Japan is armchairs. America is kitchen chairs. Switzerland is clock chairs. <laughs> So, some objects are about reality, or so-called, the outer reality, like chairs, and some objects have to do with self, like girl, or boy, liberal, or conservative, or pro-life, or pro-choice. Hmm? These are like objects of mind that make you who you are. I like those little fishes. I don't like bacon and eggs. These objects are what make you you. And without those objects, you don't even know who you are. You have no idea who you are. Without Australian or Canadian, so on. And the Canadian and the Australian comes together and passes according to conditions. The next skandhas uh, will be completely different. You might not be born in Canada next lifetime. You may not be born as female next lifetime. You're probably going to be born as human unless you do something really, really, really bad to screw it up. I mean, it's got to be seriously bad. Anyway, according to Buddhism, we perceive ourselves and the world in the subjective way that we do as a consequence of what happened to our mind in the past. So you see the world the way you see it because of what's happened in your past. You judge what happens in your life today based on what happened in the past. The relationships you form, the, the things you choose to eat, the way you speak, the way you act, everything you do is the way it is now because of what happened in the past. If you just keep doing everything you do the way you did it in the past, what's the future going to be? It's going to be pretty close to what it already was. So the awakening is contra-inertia. That's why when the Buddha asked for a sign of his awakening, he put the bowl in the river and it went uphill. Your journey to awaken is upriver. Samsara is noted for being endless. You are not going to awaken by just keep making the same choices, going down the same stream. Unless, of course, the choices you're making are to meditate, contemplate, reflect, study, listen to your mentor. But fundamentally, you have to take the challenge. And no Buddha can do this for you. You have to take the challenge, not just to meditate, not just to study, not just to contemplate the teaching, but to take the challenges to go up river for you. Otherwise, you won't move from here. And if you look at the people, you say uh, for a moment, you look at your Dharma friends, uh, your Dharma brothers and sisters, those beings who look like they're progressing, if I can speak in such a way, towards Buddhahood, are the people who are taking the challenges. The people that aren't progressing are the people that are just listening, hanging out. Well, they're progressing a little, you understand. I mean, a tiny bit, because at least they're involving their mind with that. Rinpoche once asked me, well, what have you been doing in the past year? I hadn't seen him for a while. And I said, well, I've been doing two hours a day of of meditation. He said, maintenance. At least you're not falling back. Well, that that was good enough then. 
<laughs> okay. Composite perception through ignorance is the second of the twelve links of interdependent origination by its very nature, i.e. because it's rooted in ignorance of ultimate truth and because it clings to delusions, composite samsaric perception is riddled with suffering. Complete. I mean, it's everywhere. The only way that you can avoid this fact that your composite ego identity isn't suffering is to drug yourself out. And you drug yourself out by clinging to illusions built in to the standard model of your birth. Your birth, your family, your friends, your work, your job, your career, and so on. You will not resolve the problem of suffering in your life by anything. What do you think is going to do it? Money? If I had enough money, then I wouldn't suffer? No. If I had the right loving relationship, then I wouldn't suffer? No. If I had a job that didn't challenge me, would I then not suffer? No, you'd be like my parents. You'd be boring to death. You know, I, I, I meet a number of people in the teaching who have had quite horrendous conditioning. You would not believe some of the stories out there. Beyond, beyond, beyond. But that's not the worst suffering. The worst suffering is being born in parents who are just absolutely and totally normal and absolutely and totally asleep. Because there's nothing to push against. At least if you've been beaten, you can rebel. And how do you fight against mud? <laughs> the tar baby. How do you fight against the tar baby? You know the tar baby? It's like made of glue. It's, I don't know what it's like. Sticky rice. I don't know. And you hit it and one, you get your your hand gets stuck. And so you hit it again and your other hand gets stuck. And then you kick it and one foot gets stuck. And you kick it again. And another. <laughs> This is like, you know, when you're five, you kick it, your arm gets stuck. When you're ten... You, you hit it again and your other arm gets... When you're 15, you kick it and your foot gets stuck. And when you're 20, you kick it again, right? And your other foot gets stuck. And then when you're 25, you bash your head into it. Right? And at 30, you're it. <laughs> and all this time, you think you've been fighting for your independence. Well, I hit it five times. I'm rebelling. Now, we don't want you to rebel against society because that's useless. It's completely and totally useless to rebel against your parents. Because that which is rebelling is your parents. You think, oh, I'm rebelling against my father, I'm rebelling against my mother. Uh-uh, darling, you're manifesting exactly like your mother and father because your mother and father thought they were rebelling. And they became them. And you're rebelling and you are them. Are you clear? So it's not about rebelling against society. It's not about, it's not about fixing society or destroying society. It's irrelevant. Your challenges are irrelevant to what society is doing. Your challenge is to leave it behind, to walk on, to let go, to abandon, to renounce, to give up the idea that samsara is resolvable. <laughs> Even your pension plan could go tomorrow. In fact, if you look closely, it is. Samsara, I should care. I'm ready to go. Oh, yeah, well, you're 60. You're old. Are you ready to go? You're ready to die today? If you're not, you better be. Okay. Now then. The three sufferings can be explained through examples. I know you like examples, right? Everybody likes examples. So, 
The suffering inherent in the composite is like unripe rice. The suffering of change is like rice broth mixed with poison. And the manifest suffering is like the stomach inflammation due to eating the poisoned rice. These three sufferings can be explained in terms of their character. Suffering inherent to the composite has an indifferent feeling. You're kind of indifferent to it. Suffering inherent in change is based on the feeling of pleasure. In other words, you like it, but you're afraid of losing it. And suffering as actual suffering feels unpleasant. So you have the three kinds of ways of seeing it. Neutral, pleasant, and unpleasant. So composite seems neutral, because you don't really notice it. You don't really notice the chair is changing. You don't really notice that your relationships are dying, even as you're building them. I mean, old age, right? You don't really notice. And then the suffering of change is suffering because you got something you like, you know, nice little scene you got going. You don't want it to change. You're not really afraid of losing it. You're afraid that it's changing on you. That's one of the advantages of being an artist. It's feast and famine. So you sort of get used to the idea of change. Well, it's up this year. It was down this year. It was up this year. It's down this year. It's you kind of get used to the cycle. Unless it's down, 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 down. Now, the suffering of the composite. So, back to number one. Suffering inherent to the composite. One is a sufferer just through the fact of taking on this life composed of the aggregates, to which suffering is inherent. Ordinary individuals do not feel the suffering inherent in the composite and can be compared to people stricken by a raging fever who are at the same time insensitive to an itchy ear. So this is your grandparents, your parents, your mother's friends, your father's friends. I mean, the ordinary people out there are, are indifferent to composite suffering because they're so busy struggling with life that they don't notice that their ear is uh, infected. or they're, You know when you're working at something and you, you're, you bash your elbow? Right, and after you finish working at it, you realize your elbow's sore, or you've scratched it, or you've cut yourself, but you haven't noticed. This is ordinary people. They're so busy running around after their IRS or IRAs, or whatever your retirement plan is, the post office bank account. Okay, stream entrance, awakened, and other types of liberated beings can perceive the suffering inherent in the composite. They could be compared to someone almost cured of a fever and hence quite sensitive to that scrape on their elbow. And then the fully awakened see nothing but suffering in any direction and therefore have abandoned it. They've abandoned refuge in the composite because it's suffering in every direction. Through Even the most pleasurable experience is suffering inherently because it, it doesn't last. You can't hang on to it. But insofar as they understand that it can't be held on to, they're not sad, they're happy. They're joyous. They're joyous because, wow, it happened. <laughs> yum, yum. Every direction. For more information, please visit clearskycenter.org. That's C-L-E-A-R-S-K-Y-C-E-N-T-E-R dot org. Thank you.